Hi, I'm Pete Denby, and welcome to the second episode of our podcast, To Affinity and Beyond. I'm joined today by Andy Tudor, CEO of Collect, a data optimization business, and formerly having held a number of senior positions in major retail businesses. Um, I've known Andy for a while now, uh, since he worked at Debenhams and I worked at Sky, and always respected and admired him, particularly for the way that he combines expertise, innovation, and pragmatism, which I think has served him really well in his career to date, and particularly when he held positions in those uh, retailers. So we talk um, about how consumer expectations have changed uh, and how data and analytics can help retailers to respond to those changing expectations. We chat about some of the main barriers and what can be done to overcome them. Plus, we touch on some other major changes in retail, including a subject that I'm particularly passionate about, and that's the future of physical shops in the high street. We hope you enjoy the podcast, and now let's get into the content. So, Andy, Thanks welcome to the podcast. Good to be here. Thanks for inviting me. No problem at all. So, um, I have a rather um, curious fascination with where people are located. I think even more so over the last fifteen months or so. So, whereabouts are you so, as you I'm in record the UK. this? I'm in, in the south of the UK, in Wiltshire, uh, in a small village to the west of Swindon, but. Um, Perhaps unlike a lot of our colleagues over the past 12 to 18 months or so, actually, I've worked from home for a bit longer than that. So uh, I sort of kitted myself up going into going or prior to the pandemic, shall I say, I've been working from home for a while. So I'm in my home office slash man okay, cave. Cool. And, and where's the office when you, so when you do go into the office? The office is in central Bristol. Um, which is a really nice location to be actually uh, in, in normal times. But uh, the team are dispersed in various locations. We've got people in, in London, people in, in Cardiff, and uh, the hub of the team are in, in Bristol. So, yeah, we're, we're dotted all over the place at the minute, but predominantly working from home. You know, the industry that, that we've been operating in over the years that we've been in our careers, actually, there's, there's been this pent-up need to change and transform. And actually, I think the pandemic's just amplified that need and and various businesses including our own we've, we've been able to adapt very very quickly i think that's a that's a real positive outcome that we should take into the future yeah yeah absolutely okay so um could you maybe give us a potted history andy of your um career sort of businesses that you've worked for the types of roles that you've held and and then we'll um we'll come on to talk about what you're doing sure. with uh, with click now but yeah if you could give us that that, no that history so, that'd be really so helpful. i've been in professional work for a couple of decades now um, and I've been working in and around the retail industry predominantly during during the, 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 the fullness of my career to date, mostly working in retail businesses. So I've worked in brands like WH Smiths and Debenhams at the sort of big corporate PLC level, but I've worked in privately held businesses as well, mostly in fashion retail. And the roles that I've had during that time have tended to be focused on analytics, project delivery, and then more latterly technology leadership type roles. So prior to forming Collect, I was CIO for Monsoon Accessorize, the ladies wearing accessories retail business. Okay. And um, if we bring it up to date then, um, so you mentioned Collect at the yeah. uh, top of the podcast. Can you tell us a bit more about what Collect do and you know, what it is that you help yeah, your clients so achieve? Collect was, was really the brainchild of myself and my, my co-founder um, and, and, and the founding team. There were four of us initially. But the, the challenges that we saw as a founding team in the different businesses that we've worked in in the past are that 
data is a really valuable asset for organizations, but understanding how to really leverage the power of data is actually quite challenging, point number one. Secondly, has historically been quite um, expensive to go after from a technology point of view. And then thirdly, really understanding how to get targeted analytics has been has been a real challenge. So we put all of those things together and decided to found Collect. And we, we call ourselves a data optimization business. So we're helping brands to use their data assets to really drive business value. That's, that's our means for being. Um, and we now fi- find ourselves working across different industry sectors, predominantly in retail because of my background and the background of, of some of the founding members of the business. But we're working in other sectors. So we're working with the Premier League. We're working with uh, a big insurance customer. We're working in, in manufacturing. Uh, we're working in, in property management. So common themes are that there are opportunities to do a lot with data to drive real business value from data. So that's that's where we are. Okay, sounds exciting. Um, and um, what, what when you um, work with your clients, what, um, you know, clearly there's a an objective there to drive uh, value from data and optimize yeah. various aspects of the business. When you work with those clients, what kind of situation do you usually find them in in, in terms of their, I guess, their maturity um, along that journey? I mean, some some clients know exactly what it is they want to achieve with their data. They just don't necessarily know how to achieve it, which is where we come in. And other clients know where they want to be in terms of their business objectives, but they don't know how to translate those business objectives into a coherent technology roadmap and a data strategy to underpin that technology roadmap. So you you, you use the word maturity. I think what we find is that there are different levels of maturity in terms of both adopting data and becoming data-driven at the core of an organization, but also maturity in terms of technology and the way in which data is being used across a business so we we support clients at varying uh varying stages of those journeys okay <clears throat> okay and uh, one area that fascinates me um really is um how well suited different businesses are to be supporting uh, clients but would be that retail consumer brands yeah. or any other industry um you know both of us have worked in very large businesses and we've both worked in in, in startup and yeah. scale-up businesses um and i think there's definitely um kind of unique attributes associated with with different types of company but from from what you've um found what what, what do you see as the main advantages of someone of in uh, position um of a relatively recently um, established business what, what are some of the advantages that, that a company like that would have over a more established company going in and, and helping um some of the organizations that that, that yeah, need support I, with their data it's, it's an interesting one I, I suppose the i don't know whether it's complete coincidence or whether the pandemic's actually supported us to get this business off the ground ironically because i think Technology and data has come into laser focus for a number of different industry sectors over the course of the past 18 months. And I think there's a, with that, there appears to be a willingness to try new approaches. And with those new approaches, in the case of Collect, it seems to be a willingness to trust a startup or or now as we are a scale-up business to, 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 to try something new 
and to try a different approach. And that we found really interesting. So whereas perhaps clients that we've worked with may in the past have selected more established businesses to work with, more established brands, more traditional brands, as it were, actually, there seems to be this genuine willingness to try something new. And I think in part, that's because we're coming forward with fresh ideas and a fresh approach. But I think also in part, it's to do with perhaps the credibility that we've got in certain industry sectors that we're supporting, such as retail. Um, and, and, and I genuinely believe, and it's, it's something I strove for when I was uh, in CIO positions and other technology leadership positions, that there's a genuine need to move really quickly and to realize value really, really fast and to be, sounds a bit cliche, but to be agile in the approach. So if something's not working quite, quite in the way that it was intended to be able to pin it and to move on to something new and we can definitely do that with the broad spectrum of skills that we've got within the team yeah i think that's a big thing that uh, um agility i think it's very difficult for for large businesses to to um move quickly um I think um, the, the the companies that be supplying services around data and analytics, you know, large established businesses have them have an advantage in terms of the breadth of services they can offer and, and some very talented people. But I think their ability to do things quickly and to um, make sure that different people within that organization are empowered to make decisions yes. for the good of the client. Um, I, I think that's often um, a struggle for those agree, types of uh, companies. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. I, go I ahead, completely Andy. agree with you. And I, and I, and I also think that um, – as you will appreciate, in a in a startup and, and subsequently a scale-up business, actually, there's a genuine ability to be agile. And it's really important for your business to be agile because you have to respond to the changing consumer needs. You might have a vision for how you think your business is going to operate. But in reality, you need to be able to pivot to to, to round out what your value proposition is ultimately. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And then I think for client um, organizations, there certainly seems to have been a shift um, by forward-thinking businesses um, to combine the almost the best of breed of what they can do internally, but then to augment that with companies like yes. um, like Collect and, and and Hyper at our end and, and various other um, kind of smaller businesses, so they have that um, um, kind of teamwork. Um, established between the uh, the client's uh, business and the, and, and the supplier to get things done as quickly, as effectively, and, and, and with the highest quality possible. And I think we're seeing a lot more of that now. I think there's a pragmatic view um, from lots and lots of uh, businesses out there that that's the way that they need to operate, um, you know, because we're going to move on to um, consumer expectations. But I think that's, you know, that's certainly been a driver of the, the need to be agile and, and the need to make decisions at speed. Agree. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I mean that brings us on nicely, I think, to talk about um, the main theme of the podcast um, around consumer expectations and around how data can be used to meet um, modern expectations of consumers. But what I mean, in your mind, Andy, what what do you think's changed in terms of consumer expectations? And you know, I asked that coming um, from your perspective as a consumer, but also having been in the in the um, the retail industry and data analytics industry for a number of years yeah, now. Yeah, I think customer expectations have, have shifted quite a bit in a number of different areas i think there's a there's a almost a a given from a customer point of view that they want a personalized service from the brands that they choose to engage with they want to 
ensure that brands know you as Pete Denby or me as Andy Tudor as, as an individual and that they are tailoring their proposition to our needs. Um, I think that there is a, um, the, what's the right way to explain it? I think customer expectations are, are, are ever changing. And I think there's a, there's a, uh, a need for retail businesses and businesses in general to be able to adapt very quickly to those changing customer expectations. And I'm sure we'll get into what does that mean from a technology and data perspective in due course, but it's just this, this, this very real requirement to adapt very, very quickly because the customer is, and is expecting something new, something fresh uh, to keep them engaged and to keep them, to keep them uh, wanting to uh, retain the relationship with the brands that they're choosing to, to, to have a relationship with. Um, and then I think there's a there's there's more of a a sense of a sense of community, a sense of um, being ethically minded, a sense of really caring about the the brands that consumers choose to 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 have that connection and relationship with. There's a there's a very real expectation as customers now that brands are being ethically responsible. That they're being environmentally responsible, and that as a as a trend is 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 being amplified you know, more and more. So that 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 need to really hone in on what is it that the customer is expecting from my brand and being really in tune with that at a one to one relationship with the customer, I think is is growing ever more in importance. Yeah, what what do you think's driven that? What, why do you think consumers have become? Um... Uh, 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 sorry, uh, why their um, expectations have um, increased so dramatically over time? Um, I think I think it's been facilitated by technology in the main. I think just that that mm. immediacy of um, e- either immediate gratification. So you know, if you want to do some research on a brand, or if you want to research a particular topic, or whatever it might be, a trend, you know, that that information and insight is readily available at the click of a button. And I think that is translating into what customers expect from their own interaction or their own relationship with brands that they choose to interact with. I think that in the main is, is the main driving force. Um, and I think coupled with that is the, the whole um, – social experience of uh, that social social interaction the way in which we socially socially interact these days again has been facilitated more and more through technology particularly over the past 18 months but i think that trend was building anyway so again there's that immediacy of being able to interact in 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 whichever way a customer chooses to either on a one-to-one level with their peers friends, family, whatever it might be, business colleagues, but also in terms of the brands that they're interacting with. I just think that the speed at which we are conducting our lives facilitated by technology has led to this change in customer expectations in terms of how they interact with brands. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think you um, kind of hit the nail on the head. That had that um, need for instant gratification, um, which I think is very much driven yeah. by technology and the fact that we've got the you know the world at our in the palm of our hands really via the, yes. the smartphone. Um, 
and um, you know, rightly or wrongly, I think expectations have been set, or we've certainly pinned our expectations based on um, how we interact with the likes of Google yeah. and Amazon. Um, so, you know, <laughs> may not actually be fair on some of the brands that we buy from. You know, it's very, very difficult for them to um, uh, replicate that same level of immediacy and service that they get from from those types of companies. But I think we, we certainly have an expectation that, you know, we can find all the information yeah. we want really, really quickly. Um, we can buy stuff really quickly. You know, we can return stuff really quickly. But everything has to happen at, yes. at warp speed. Um, I, I think, and, and I think there's a great deal of dissatisfaction uh, when companies aren't able to offer yeah. that level of service. Um, so I think that uh, represents a real challenge for retailers and, and for brands to be able to um, kind of meet that uh, that modern yeah, customer completely, expectation. Completely. In your eyes, how, how do you think data and um, technology can help uh, retailers and brands to uh, really meet that challenge. Well, I mean, it's 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 the means for being for our business. So, uh, retailers, particularly well-established retailers, or any brand for that matter, have oodles of data flowing around their organisations, and in the majority of cases, unfortunately, siloed in operational systems, operational databases. That data is never to see the light of day. You know. 80% of the time based on some research that, 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 that we published to prospective clients. So there is a huge amount of untapped business value in that data that we feel if brought together and if used in the right way can really drive meaningful changes in the customer lifecycle or the product lifecycle or preferably both to unlock business value. So. The data is one thing. So our, our our key message to our clients is bring that data together, make sure that data is of a really high quality, and then use that data to your advantage to either feed some really uh, personal and rich analytical processes or to use that data to service other operational systems that can help you to um, deliver innovation with within your brand. So whether that's a yeah, a, a niche service that you're supplying to your customers that's facilitated through an operational system that cannot be effective unless it's being serviced with really high quality data. So, so, so for me, for Collect, we feel that technology and data have the potential, if used in the right way, to really drive competitive advantage for the, for the clients that we're serving. Um, and it's that perpetual cycle of bringing more and more data together to find out more and more about the way in which your customers interacting with your brand, the way in which your internal business processes are operating to, to really get into how can we, how can we drive business value? And that's what we're supporting our clients to do. Yeah. That last point is a great point. It's that yeah. flywheel effect. I think um, Peter Thiel talks about it in his book, um, Zero to One, you know, if you use data to create that kind of flywheel effect, which the likes of Google certainly do very, very well, then you can keep layering on um, value. It's not a, not a one-time process, is it? Um, um, consolidating your data, analyzing it, um, and then making the odd decision off the back of it. It's a, it's a constant uh, process that should be embedded into a into a business. Um, and I also think you made some good points. Made some good points there, Andy, about the <clears throat> the different areas where um, 
insight can be applied as well. So I think data has been used for a long time in certain areas. You know, I, I started in the data and analytics industry in the early 2000s for, for a business that ultimately became Call Credit and then was sold yes. to TransUnion. And we were using data to help clients analyze customers and then, you know, do better direct marketing, um, which was kind of paper-based direct marketing at the time, which is <laughs> kind of showing my age. Um, but, but I think um, nowadays the, you know, companies have the opportunity to use data and to apply insight in different areas of the business. So is that, you know, it could be new product development, it could be operational efficiencies, it could be marketing um, and a smart organization, you know, kind of embeds the use of data and insight in de into decision-making right, right Definitely. across the enterprise and, and i think you know now it, it's so accessible as a capability in your business to to become data driven that the technology is affordable and that makes it accessible whereas even three to five years ago it was only businesses with fairly sizable investment budgets that could could get access to the type of capability that's available now so you know, it's, it, it shouldn't be feared. Mm. It should, it, and it can start small. So, um, yeah, I think I think there's a, a lot of exciting times ahead to, to leverage the power of data. Yeah, and what what typically stops businesses from going down this path? Well, or, or, or if, it, if if it doesn't stop them, what are the main challenges they tend um, to find? I think there's a there's definitely a perception that it is expensive, and clearly we we support to break down that perception. Um, and the way in which we do that is to focus on the value of the outcome, actually. So you know, the investment is one thing, but but what's it actually going to mean for the business and what value is going to be, be derived? I think also you've got this, particularly in retail, you've got this kind of hybrid of, um, of individuals working in retail businesses. You've got uh, individuals who have grown up in in retail organisations that where perhaps yeah, e-commerce was a new phenomenon when at the early stages of, of of their careers they've grown up with the businesses the traditional ways of working have been adopted and therefore that has created a cultural barrier to to data adoption to to becoming data driven as a as a modus operandi in these businesses so that 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 cultural aspect we certainly see is is a challenge but again i don't know if it's fortuitous hopefully hopefully not and hopefully it's a, a theme that's here to stay but over the past 18 months there's just been this this genuine willingness and genuine acceptance that it's so important to become data driven now and to depend upon the data that there seems to be this this willingness now to 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 take that to take that step into it, um, and as I say, I think I think importantly, brands can begin small. They can demonstrate that by using data in a particular way, you can unlock value, and then incrementally they can they can identify with our support additional use cases to to to, to go after that benefit. Yeah, I think there's definitely something in the cultural yeah. piece as well. Um, and, um, you know, the way that particularly retail has uh, traditionally been 
driven or how decisions have been made. Um, there's a huge amount of expertise, I think, in certain roles for, you know, particularly around buying and merchandising, yes. for example. Um, so I think a little bit about, it's a little bit about um, how you position the use of uh, data and analytics and technology. So it's not, um, you know, not replacing these, you know, highly knowledgeable people, but it's, it's giving them the tools they need Definitely. to do their jobs better. So it's maybe automating the bits which are a bit of a pain really and letting them use their or apply their expertise in the areas where it makes yes. the biggest difference um being able to arm them with insight so they can make better decisions about which products to to to, uh, to buy you know how to merchandise them through physical stores or on the website or whatever it might be so i think there's a you know, there's probably a bit of a positioning piece, which which we've as a um, you know a set of suppliers to the industry yes. have learnt over time. Um, but 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 I agree, there's a, a certainly a greater willingness um, for um, retail businesses to to adopt data as a as a means. I was going to say of competitive advantage, but you know, I'm not sure it even is now. I think it's kind yes. of table stakes yeah, to some extent, and then it's looking for those edge use cases, which which um, still give that uh, competitive definitely. advantage. It's also about it's also about you know understanding patterns and trends in the data that previously hasn't been possible so you know joining up your supply chain data with your product development data or joining up your price optimization data with how a customer is interacting <coughs> with your brand on a social channel you know those 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 types of data joins if you like have whilst they've been possible they've been quite uh, costly and time consuming to bring together historically and actually there hasn't necessarily been this recognition that it's going to drive value by bringing those multiple different data sources together rather well, i think that's changing now as well and how um how would a retailer know that they're doing it well so what what does good look like at the end of um you know um implementing some some data and analytics think, work well there's, there's the obvious financial upside which these things need to be measured they need to be measured in an effective way to demonstrate that the 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 changes that are being applied are driving the the financial value for the business but it's for me it's more than purely the financial value it's to back to the cultural point knowing that a single source of truth has been created and that the culture of the organization has changed such that they are focusing around this single source. They're focusing their business operations and customer interaction around this single source of, of truth, this single source of data that they can depend upon within their organization is another, uh, for, for me, would be another positive outcome from this, 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 this exercise to bring data together. Um, but then also to the point that you just made, Pete, around supporting, whether it's a trading function, whether it's a supply chain optimization function, to focus in on the uh, edge cases of what's going on within their operations rather than analyzing the the bread and butter day-to-day stuff that should just should just happen it's about notifying where trends are 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 away from the norm um, and again that that's that's a successful outcome i think there uh, any retailers out there or you know more widely uh, consumer brands that you think are using data and analytics to a uh, great effect yeah I, there there absolutely are i mean we were we were speaking in february to the ceo of a very large online fashion retail business who had by his own admission invested 
a huge amount of money in creating the kind of data science and analytics capability that um, that, that we've been talking about today in house, and yeah, that business has has driven significant results for for their shareholders, um, and I think. We're also starting to see we're, we're working with at the other end of the spectrum. We're working with a number of smaller brands that are scaling very, very quickly because they've put a data driven approach at the core of their operation. So um, they are perhaps businesses that have started with a, uh, a small online presence, but their brand has become uh, widely known very, very quickly. They've got into new selling channels. So uh, bricks and mortar stores in a small way, a wholesale operation. And now they're taking the step to to, to sort of bring all of that understanding together and, and go for the next phase of their growth. But at the core of their, their operations is this willingness and, um, uh, and I, I guess innate organizational design around being data-driven. And that that is that that approach is paying dividends without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're supporting a two or three smaller brands that are focusing their organizational design around being uh, being data driven effectively. Yeah, I mean that's certainly what we see as well. Um, and I think if organi- newer organizations um, have a distinct advantage um, if they've been built as you know kind of digitally native businesses and they've put the infrastructure in place, they've got the right people, they've you know got the right culture to um, use data and analytics to inform um, a whole raft of decisions. So you um, companies yes. like uh, Gusto, for example, I've you know I've um, heard um, people from Gusto talk at um, a couple of conferences and they um, come across. Very um, switched on and, yes. and data savvy, and it's certainly been that their organisation has been created like that yes. by, by design. Um, Skyscanner is another yes. um, strong example from the travel industry who, who've been yes. built with that in mind. I think for businesses that have been around for a long time, much more difficult, much more difficult to um, to retrofit that culture, um, the technology. Yeah. Um, the mi- mindset um, around using data and analytics in, in the ways yeah. that we're talking about, and I think that takes um, takes a strong leader, a strong leadership I, I team to implement that. I agree. I mean, the the other clear examples are you know, Deliveroo, Netflix, but but they they they've grown to the size and scale of business where, again, they've got the financial means in in reality to be able to invest in this type of capability, and I think it's. The, the the smaller organizations that can get access to this type of capability now and I, you know I, I think they can learn a lot from how those bigger organizations have approached it safe in the knowledge that this kind of type of capability is available to them now which is a real positive yeah I, I think so and I, I tell you one of the big things there well a couple of the big things so I think um, cloud computing has Massively, made a big dif- yeah. difference um so um you know um paying uh, so cloud computing and then the closely coupled uh um area of yeah. on-demand pricing um so you know um 
uh, Amazon with AWS and various other yes. kind of pioneers in this space, I think, have helped smaller organizations out considerably and lowered the bar to yes. uh, entry so that there's not this huge infrastructure yes. cost um, and paying for a load of stuff that yeah. might never get used. Um, that there are models out there now where whereby smaller businesses and, and larger companies as well um, um, can much more easily take advantage of uh, data and, and, and analytics with this kind of on-demand type yes. uh, model. And I yes. think that's been a big help. Yeah, I think, yeah, you're right. I think the, 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 the double-edged sword to that is that um, whilst the technology is accessible from a cost point of view, actually complacency can set in as well. And there's a, there's a view that because it's so so you know the the barriers to entry from a cost point of view just aren't there the the thing, things can get spun up environments can get spun up and are not really sort of managed and thought about and there's the there's the whole mm. there's the whole management and support process around any kind of analytics capability that's set up that needs to be considered as well because analytics in its own right can become inefficient if it's not you know well managed and well controlled and i think on the analytical front the we're thinking about um you know put potential blockers to um, companies that are adopting this kind of data-led approach um analytics and you know data science being the you know the uh, um yes. the, the phrase of the moment um you know i think that can be tough for organizations that it's very difficult to recruit technical talent so whether that's data scientists yes. data engineers you know architects yeah, whatever that might be so i think another another helpful um a thing that's come along really the, the fact that there's um uh, there's not only agencies that can deliver those um types of services but yes. also platforms um springing up all over the place effectively yes. no code platforms so the data science kind of works in the platform um but the business user can log in they can um, take advantage of this complex, sophisticated analytics, um, but do that in a very yes. point-and-click environment. Um, so so I, I think that's, that's not always going to be what an organization needs. Sometimes they need data science people to go really deep into the in, into the data and, yes. and do the analytics. Um, but I think being able to um, uh, kind of democratize um, the access to data and, and being able to analyze and, and, and drive insight from data for more people, for no, for business experts who know their business domain um, really well, whether that, you know, whether that's marketing or supply chain or, you know, merchandising or whatever it might be. Um, so they can, you know, they can benefit from uh, the power of uh, data and the power of analytics, but in a, in an easy to uh, consume yes. way. Yeah. I, I, I suppose the, the challenge there though is about, trusting the source data on which the analytics is being performed and and i and yeah. still i think that's a major consideration for a number of businesses you know we all we all know we all witness the cottage industry that is excel that that exists across numerous businesses <laughs> you know, there's a preconceived preconceived idea as to what the, the the result should be confirmation bias if you like as to what the result should be and um you know mm. the, the we I think we need to be, and your business, and as well as Collect, is promoting creating this single trusted source of truth from which a business can operate. And I think that's that's such an important factor. Yeah. The plumbing has it got has. to be correct, hasn't it? Because if 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 not, then it's uh, it it's going to go pear shaped. So um, yeah, you can all the all the clever analytics you like, but if the data's not um, the underlying data is not right, then uh, that's going to cause all all manner of yeah. problems. Um. Okay, so just thinking a little bit more widely, then um, we've, we talked about consumer yeah. expectations um, changing and, and the impact on retailers. But do, what are the kind of major changes do you see in the retail industry that's 
um, that, that's causing a lot of ris- disruption or, or likely to over the over the next well, couple I mean, of years. Aside from the obvious, which is consolidation in the market, losing some very well established brands, sadly from our from our high streets. I think there's I think there's going yeah. to be. Um, well, I think I, we talked about customer expectations. I think customer expectations are only going to get higher, and I think we're seeing brands that want a um, direct relationship with the customer, such as Nike or, or or others that are building up their direct to consumer businesses. I think more and more of that is going to is going to happen, where brands themselves, as opposed to retailers, brands themselves want to be in control of the brand to customer uh, interaction and experience. So I think I think a, a lot of that's going to continue to happen. I think that um, digital brands, I mean the obvious one is is Amazon, but 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 others are following moving into bricks and mortar environments. I think we're going to see more of that. And again, I think that's aligned to customer expectation of wanting to have a physical connection with a brand that they're choosing to to interact with so i think i think more of that is going to continue to happen i think from a technology perspective i think we're going to get more and more innovation and niche capability at different areas of the product and customer life cycle so i think there will be more and more of a refinement and more and more innovation at certain stages of the product and customer life cycle. So from a product life cycle perspective, it might be the way in which we're managing product information. It might be the way in which we are managing the the, the manufacturing process. It might be the way in which we're able to you know, visualize product online, you know, 3D images of product online, whatever it might be. But but again, it's it's that niche refinement of of how the product and customer life cycles are managed um and then i and then i think that you touched on it earlier on pete in terms of competitive advantage i think the 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 new drivers of competitive advantage will be more and more driven by by data and underlying trends in the data that that exists either within the organization or bringing in external sources of data and uh analyzing customer behavior or, or product lifecycle behavior on a on a far richer scale um so I, I think really really exciting times ahead for for the retail industry and um yeah d- delighted to be part of it actually just to want to pick up on a couple of points within that yes. so the high street um very you know contentious uh, topic there have been a lot of uh, major changes um within the high street particularly over the last um yeah. you know 15 months or so so i mean what do you see as the, the future of the high street is, is it going to disappear is it going to adapt is it is it going to thrive how do, how do you um, see things changing I think, I think it will adapt i think it needs to adapt um i think i think it's too early to say what uh what new customer expectations are for the high street based on the return to the high street post pandemic i think we're seeing this pent up demand during the month of may as a, as a consequence of not having been able to visit the high street but will that persist let's hope so because i think there's a real there's there's a really important socioeconomic impact of not having a not having a really effective high street um so yeah i definitely hope that's here to stay um, I think that the the ability one 
one challenge that pure play businesses have, even even Amazon, and yes, they've got incredible delivery options, but that that immediate gratification doesn't yet exist from Amazon and other other pure play brands. Yeah. And so I, I still think there's a there's a place to delight customers with that immediate gratification and when they do get that immediate gratification to to delight even further by upsell cross-sell entertainment opportunities within the store environment whatever it might be but just to strengthen that connection between customer and brand through the physical presence on the high street and i think more of that will continue I agree. I mean, I'm thinking, sorry, one of the things I think we're seeing um, at the current stage of the pandemic is there is a huge kind of pent up demand for social interaction. You know, people want to see other people. They want to get out and and do stuff. They want experiences. Um, You know, in I don't know what it's like in your part of the world, but if I drive past any cafe where I'm based in in the northwest of England, um, it's chocker with people. You know, there's lots of people who want that social um, interaction. Uh, You know, I also think um, for lots of different types of products, people want to see them, touch them and feel them. Um, particularly with with clothing, people want to you know often want to try those yeah. those clothes on. Um, so if we moved entirely to a model of remote and people getting stuff delivered to try it and then you know send back probably the majority of the the clothes they get, I don't know how Absolutely. sustainable that is for a whole yeah, host of reasons. Um, so I think we'll end up with a hybrid model. I think people have certainly got a taste for um, e- e-commerce, um, much more so you know, over the, the period of the pandemic. So we'll see that continue to accelerate, but I think high streets will bounce back to some extent. And, and I'm, in, um, I'm in your camp on that. I think it will be I think it'll be a combination of things. I think there'll be a retail experience that will be combined with more yeah. of a lifestyle experience. So, so you know, people can shop, but they can also do other stuff in in, in stores um, on a, on a social level. So, um, I think the next you know five to ten years are going to be fascinating from a, a, a retail yeah, perspective. Right. Absolutely. What I, what I'd really like to see happen as well, and you know, I don't know how realistic this is, but just I'd like to see local economies thriving and local independent brands um stepping up and and developing new relationships with customers as well um yeah i I, yeah i think i think that'd be really really good to see yeah i mean that's a great point um i ventured into um liverpool uh at the weekend my closest city and i was really blown away by the kind of spirit of independence which i think is you know kind of um personifies um, yes. Liverpool to some extent but it even extends to the kind of retail um, experience and the you know the food and drink yes. experience as well um, so you know you could see that happening you know all over the country and um, you know use of technology and data and analytics it, you know it must be um, at a fairly low threshold at the moment um, across some of those independents and, and that would represent a, 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 an opportunity for those independents to connect better with uh, uh, their customers and, and enhance that experience. So, um, yeah, I'm all, all for the independents kind of growing in, in stature um, and they probably will play a key part of, you know, what physical retail looks like yes, over agreed, over time. Agreed. And just, it's just the innovation that those independent brands bring. Yeah, they they typically the pace of innovation within the independent sector is is greater than within more well established businesses. You know, by definition, they're you know they're breaking the mold, aren't they? All right, so we've covered some fascinating topics. Um, you know, I I think you know consumer expectations have um, 
certainly increased exponentially over time. And um, retailers have the opportunity to use data analytics and technology to help them to meet them and, and even exceed them as we go forward. So, Andy, I want to say uh, thank you for your time. Thanks for coming on. Um, thanks for offering us some some fantastic expert opinions. And, uh, you know, good luck to you and, and Collect for uh, taking thanks the business forward. Pete. It's been a real pleasure. And uh, similarly, good luck to you and the Hyper Team. Thank you.